0: Well, there you go. Money is a very serious topic, according to ABBA. That was money, money, money. Um, you know, Apparently, money can buy you, you know, rhinestone-covered togas. I'm not sure what they were, they were wearing. They can buy you fancy cars. Uh, a rich man, if you're with him, man, you're, you're happy. All your dreams are met. Money is a serious topic. One of the most interesting points it kind of makes is that, well, it's always sunny in a rich man's world. So money is power. Money can buy happiness. So Today we're talking about money, because money is, in fact, a serious thing. Now, we all believe that money matters for our lives. If we didn't, well, you know, we would treat it perhaps differently. Perhaps we wouldn't have jobs or, or uh, bank accounts, but... Uh, most of us do. Today we're talking about some of Jesus' teachings on money, but really we're talking about the whole, the whole biblical scope specifically of giving tithes and offerings. So not just about bringing money in, but uh, giving money out. Now, when you hear that there's a sermon on tithes and offerings, this is always an interesting subject to talk about in a church or any place, but I imagine two questions kind of pop into your mind. Well, number one, why is there a sermon on tithes and offerings? Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? What's the, what's the real reason we have a conversation about money? And then number two, I hope that we ask, and I, I want us all to ask, well, what does the Bible have to say about giving? What does the Bible have to say about tithes and offerings? We don't necessarily care as much about what you think, Jonathan. What is God's word? say? What does God say about giving? So first, I want to I answer that, that first question uh, on why are we talking about giving tithes, tithes and offerings? Well, three reasons. Uh, up to this point, I haven't fully taught on giving. I haven't fully taught on giving tithes and offerings, and I think we all need to know what the Bible expects of us. Number two, uh, as we were preparing for this church, uh, there was a, a this church plant. So over a year and a half ago, there was a core team of us that read a book called "The Ten Most Common Mistakes Made by New Church Starts," and number seven on that list was fear of talking about money until it's too late. Now, it's not too late, but we do need to talk about money. That's part of what it means to get uh, a healthy church started, a church that can be sustainable and continue to grow. Uh, And that leads me to my third reason. In the next couple months, Lord willing, we're going to become an autonomous church. That means we're no longer going to be a ministry of Emmanuel Church in Chelmsford. Now, that's a wonderful thing. That's an awesome thing. But it's like moving out of your house. Now you have to take care of yourself. And we've been paying for most of our bills, and Emmanuel has been supplementing us. But when we go autonomous, it gets real. <laughs> there's, uh, there's no cushy bank account that we can go back to in, in times of need. And so we need to each personally take responsibility for what God is calling each one of us to give. And I think we see that in the scriptures. Now, the second question what does the Bible have to say about giving, uh, specifically about tithes and offerings? Now, there are generally two positions that I want to show you. The first position uh, I'm calling offerings. And it's that God says to give generously but sets no specific amount. So, Some people would argue for this position from the scriptures, that that the Bible says to give generously, to give for needs, but it doesn't say, well, you need to give a tithe. Tithes have kind of been done away with in the Old Testament. It says give grace offerings or free will offerings or kind of what you feel like. Position number two, tithes. God says to start by giving 10%, but then grow from there. So we use the tithe, the 10% of our income, as a starting point for how much we should be giving God, and then we build on that as God calls us to it. So we're going to look at both these positions, but before we do that, I want to take a moment and pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to talk about tithes and offerings, to talk about money. And it it is a serious topic because how we spend our money, how we give our money away, uh, reflects our hearts. And so we pray that you would direct our hearts to you uh, during this service and that uh, at the end of it, we would all be challenged. And uh, I want to be challenged, Lord, by what you're saying in your word. And I pray that we all have that same attitude. It's in the name of Christ I pray, amen. So position number one, offerings. God says to give generously but sets no specific amount. Now, I do believe that both positions say to give generously, uh, to to, to, to say to kind of give joyfully and, and gratefully, not with an unhappy heart but with a happy heart. And we see in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what do we see here? We see Paul saying God cares about the state of your heart. That's that's what matters most. That's what's of first priority. And the Lord wants us to cultivate in our hearts a a generous attitude of of giving, of of not just having to give, but being excited to give, getting to give. Now, when Paul writes here, he's actually writing in the context of a special offering for the early churches. So he's not necessarily uh, writing about a regular kind of consistent donation, now, there was, uh, there's all sorts of opinions on whether or not we should give tithes or not. And there's one reporter who investigated tithing, and this is what he concluded. Maybe this is some, what some of you think about the practice of tithing says, if a pastor or church leader has ever told you that the Bible commands Christians to give, to tithe, or give 10% of their income, ask you to donate to a mysterious building fund, or give a first fruit offering, you are getting played. That's a pretty strong message, right? But his message is clear. Tithing is a myth. It's, uh, it's no longer commanded in the New Testament. That's just an Old Testament thing that we no longer have to obey. Now, we see maybe some of these ideas reflected in even some of the early church fathers. Irenaeus, he was a, an early church father, so after the New Testament time period, he lived about 130 to 202 AD, so he lived in the second century. And he writes this. Now, Irenaeus uh, was, uh, according to church tradition, one of uh, the disciples of the apostle John. The Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assign all of their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely not the lesser portions of their property, since they have the hope of greater things. So what he's arguing here is that You know, in the Old Testament, yes, the the Jews, the the Hebrew people, they were called by God to give 10% of of their increase to the work of the Lord. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But Christians, well, we've been saved by God. We don't live in that Old Testament time period, so we can give even greater amounts. We can give generously uh, and based on what people need, not necessarily based on a percentage of what we take in. And we see actually this needs-based giving in the early church. That's what the early church practiced, needs-based giving. In the beginning of the book of Acts, so Acts is kind of our, our very first church history book. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. And it says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So we see people not holding on to their property and being willing to, to sacrifice their funds uh, for the, the the good of their church community. Now they didn't have bank accounts like we have them, so you would store your your, your value and items and things and property. And so they were willing to give up their kind of saving accounts to, to help the church community when it was in need. Now this early church was very, very poor, especially the church in Jerusalem. So we see great sacrifice now a few chapters later there's a very famous story in Acts chapter 5 maybe some of you have heard of it it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira the story goes that uh, there was a man and a woman and they decided to sell their property and give it to the church And so they sell their property, but they decide, you know what, we're going to say we're giving all of our money to the church from this piece of property, but in fact, in reality, we're actually going to keep part of it back for ourselves. And already we see here what? What's the first mistake? Their heart isn't in it. (laughs) Their heart isn't generous. Their heart isn't joyful. It's just something they kind of feel like, well, we have to do this. Or if we do this, it'll, it'll, it'll bring us fame. It'll make us look good. And what happens is when they bring this money to uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, pretending like it's the real deal, pretending like it's the whole thing, well, Peter says, well, you haven't sinned against me, you haven't even sinned against the church, you've sinned against God. And first the husband falls dead and then the wife falls dead. God strikes them down. Now, that's a, that's a pretty challenging story to make sure we examine our hearts when we do bring our offerings, that they are, they are not meant to bring us fame. You know, we're not writing checks to, so that people can know, oh, look how generous we are, but we're, we're bringing our checks to honor God, to grow God's kingdom. And in fact, this story, Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, because it is so interesting, it actually overshadows a story right before it which is the, this story, Ananias and Sapphira, happened in response to another story that I actually want to read for you. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. So this is right before Acts 5. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we see a man named Joseph giving up his property, giving up an investment, giving up perhaps what has been in his family for generations, selling it and bringing the funds to the church to care for those those steep real needs of that early church. And the apostles, like the early church leaders, Peter and the others, they're so encouraged by it, they actually rename him. You hear about other renamings in the story of Acts, you know, Saul being called Paul. Well, here they rename Joseph to Barnabas. Barnabas means encouragement. They are encouraged by him. We encourage each other when we give generously and we give to the needs of the church, the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is really position number one. I'm going to spend more on number two. Uh, But it's about offerings that God says to give generously but sets no specific amount. And maybe this is kind of the idea that you hold to. Well, I want us to examine tithing. I want us to look at that a little bit more closely to see what God has to say about it to see if there is perhaps a specific amount God calls us to give. So position number two, tithe, says God says to start by giving 10% but to grow from there. I open with another quote from a church father, Augustine of Hippo. He lived in the 4th to 5th century, uh, and he writes, "'Tithes are required as a matter of debt, "'and he who has been unwilling to give them has been guilty of robbery. "'Whosoever, therefore, desires to secure a reward for himself, "'let him render tithes, and out of the nine parts let him seek to give alms.'" This is a pretty challenging statement. Augustine has, has formed and shaped much of current, of current theology of what churches believe today just from his understanding of the scriptures and how he explained it. And he, he writes, well, tithing is something that each Christian is called to do. And if you don't give tithes, you're actually robbing God. Well, that's, that's a pretty steep call, uh, Augustine. Now, I want us to define just so we know exactly what tithing means. Tithing means a tenth part. So when you talk about a tithe, a tithe is not just giving any amount of money to the church, right? It's not just like, oh, I have, you know, $10 in my pocket. I'm going to take that out. I'm going to put it in in the the offering bag. Tithing is when you give 10% of what you're bringing in. Uh, So 5% of your income is not a tithe, 7%. Anything over 10% is actually an offering. So that's why I call this sermon tithes and offerings. So if you give greater than 10%, you're giving an offering. Now, we should ask kind of a clarifying point. Well, what is a tithe talking about? Is it talking about, like, gross income? And this is something that we have to ask more in our modern culture. um, Gross income or net income? Now, gross income is like everything you get. It's your your pre-tax salary. It's your retirement contributions. It's your insurance payments. Perhaps your company helps with those things. And it's saying, well, of everything that I'm bringing in, I want to tithe a certain amount. And we see some biblical precedents for this. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. All right. So if you receive a sum of money, then you need to, to give some out. And if you kind of have hidden value and other things like benefits, well, you need to figure out what those are so that you can give a percentage of even that. Or maybe the tithe is based on the net income. Your net income is the paycheck after benefits and taxes. So this is what most of us, I think, our starting point for doing a tithe would be based on. Well, I get a paycheck for $500. You know, I'm going to give $50. Deuteronomy 14.22 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So we see some actual biblical evidence for this, that it's, it's based on kind of your, 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 your crop each year, that, that 10% that comes in. Now, to answer this question, should the tithe be based on gross income or net income, we actually need to look at another principle, the principle of first fruits. So They talk about, in the Old Testament, they talk about tithes, they talk about first fruits. See, the, the tithing was really supposed to be the first fruit offering, Now, the tithe is 10%, right? So that sets a specific amount. But the first fruits is really a quality. It's like a nature of that offering. It's the first portion of the harvest. So you don't wait until the end of the harvest when everything is done and then figure out how much you're going to give. You give sacrificially at the beginning of the harvest. Now, that's challenging because you don't know if the rest of the harvest is going to come in, right? You know, but we're called to give that amount. What's best? What the, the freshest? The first? Not even knowing if the rest of the harvest will be brought in. So when we think about giving, I think we're called to give the first fruit, which is you know the amount before something else you know dips into it, right? So before you go to market, before, you know, you take out the portion that you need based on that entire harvest, you give a percentage. You give that first percentage. So I hope that makes sense. So personally, I kind of think, you know, we're called to give on the gross income amount, that first Fruit before taxes gets in there and takes out a portion now that 's my position. There are godly Christian scholars that would disagree with that, and if you want to sit down and talk about it let 's do it. Uh, but I think we see God calling us to give our first and our best the, the first fruit the ten percent and The cool thing about this is that when we give that ten percent when we give that, that first portion to the Lord, we're, we're, we're saying something, aren't we? We're saying, God, I trust you. God, I don't know if the rest of the harvest is gonna come in, but I trust you. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, uh, you know, get everything I want from my paycheck, but I know you're gonna provide for all of my needs. So when we give 10% and we give it faithfully, I actually think there's, the, the, the Bible says you're, you're giving all of yourself, So you give 10%, but in in reality, in, in like spiritual reality, it's like you're giving 100%. That's a pretty good return. I give $1, but it's counted as $10. God is counting my offering coming before him if I'm doing so joyfully and I'm giving him faithfully. It's counting it as if I'm giving him everything. Because at the end of the day, what belongs to God? Well, everything belongs to God. All of your money belongs to God. None of it is actually yours. And so that 10% is a way of saying, I I acknowledge that all of my money belongs to the Lord. Now, if we look at the Old Testament, I do think it it describes uh, tithing throughout it, that it actually prescribes tithing. Now, you would think that tithing began at Sinai, right? We just did this series on the book of Exodus where there's all these laws, And the laws say, you know, tithe uh, a certain amount. But actually, tithing predates the law. It predates Moses coming and giving all of these commandments. In Genesis uh, chapter 14, uh, we see Abraham. Now, Abraham was like the first Hebrew. He was the, the father of the Israelite nation, of the father of the Israelite people. And he... He has a nephew named Lot. And Lot gets in trouble. He gets kidnapped by all these foreign kings. And Abraham goes and rescues him. And he, he gets Lot back. And he brings Lot home and his, and his family. And then it says that he, he ran into a priest. The priest of, uh, uh, the, his name was Melchizedek, king of Salem, who was priest of God most high. And Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. So Abraham tithes to this priest of God. And this is before the law. That's pretty cool. And it says a tenth of everything. It doesn't say just a tenth of the spoil. And then we get to Abraham's grandson named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at one point in Jacob's life, he has a vision of a stairway, a stairway to heaven. Maybe you've heard of that Bible story where there's angels going up to heaven and walking down. And in this vision, God says, I'm gonna be with you, Jacob. You're gonna be, uh, kind of the promises I have applied to your your forefathers, to Abraham and Isaac, I'm applying to you. And Isaac says, you know, if you're gonna be with me, I will give you a tenth of all that I have. Of all, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So we see here two examples of the tithe actually predating the law. This is just like, Maybe you remember when we went through our series, if you were here, this was a while ago, but Sabbath and simplicity, when we talked about uh, the seven days of creation. And on the seventh day, what does it say? It says God rested. And so that pattern of a one in seven rest, it actually predates Moses coming along and saying, have a Sabbath. So we see here, tithing predating the law. So the tithe, I believe, is for all times and all places. Now, when we do meet the, the tithe of the Israelites and we look at the tithe, they actually gave multiple tithes. Not one tithe, but actually three tithes. And I want us to look at these three tithes. The first tithe they gave was to the priests and the Levites. They, the priests and the Levites uh, were kind of their, their, their religious leaders. And they were to receive a portion of some of the offerings that the the people brought in. So on an ongoing, perpetual basis, the people were bringing in offerings uh, to the sanctuary, uh, to the temple, or to the tabernacle, and the the Levites were taking from it. Numbers 18.21 says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they will do while serving at the tent of meeting. We actually see this reflected in today, Right? My salary kind of reflects this, that I I serve in this kind of priestly fashion where I I, I preach and teach, and then uh, I also receive a salary. So we see this continuing actually in uh, the New Testament. Now, it's not necessarily based on 10%, um, but we see the pattern continue. The second one, uh, there was a tithe given for sacred festivals. Uh, The people uh, were to give and set aside a tenth for special meals in the presence of the Lord and this was like an annual celebration so this was a yearly celebration Exodus 14:23 says eat the tithe of your grain new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so we have a 10% kind of ongoing tithe and then another 10% tithe on this like uh, these specific holidays, these specific festivals. And then there was a third one. Now this tithe happened every third year and it was specifically for orphans, widows, and the poor. So it was for those at-risk people in the society of Israel. Deuteronomy 26.12 says, When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all you produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So when we look at all three of these tithes together, we have a 10% plus another 10% plus a, one, a 10% every third year, it's actually 23%. So the Israelites weren't just giving a minimum kind of 10% amount based on their gross. They were giving even more than that. And, you know, what I understand of their nation is they're far poorer than we are today. It's amazing. Now, the Old Testament also prescribes free will offerings. So this is this. This idea that anything we give past the 10%, so we can give a special offering to the Lord. So the Lord blesses us richly. He gives us some money perhaps we don't expect or you know, something happens to us that's wonderful. We can give extra. And we see this based on the scriptures. Numbers 15.3 says, And you... Present to the Lord food offerings from the herd of the flock as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, whether burnt offerings or sacrifices for special vows or free will offerings or festival offerings. Now Moses actually built the tabernacle on free will offerings. He said, "Well, here are the things we need. Please bring them, to the, and, we'll, and we'll build the tabernacle." And he had abundance and overflow of, of giving. And then Ezra, when he was building the temple, they actually built it that same way on offerings. And it's interesting today when we hear about capital campaigns for churches, those almost never come out of the tithe, they come out of a free will offering. So we tend to follow that same pattern of raising kind of for the big projects from special funds from special offerings instead of the normal tithing. Now, when we look at the New Testament, I don't believe the New Testament rescinds the practice of tithing. In other words, it doesn't come to an end in the New Testament. Now, there are many things that do come to an end in the New Testament, right? There's a reason we're not sacrificing sheep and goats today. It's because Christ came along and became our ultimate sacrifice for our sins, fulfilling it. And the book of Hebrews actually says, you know, he is your sacrifice. He's that, that final sacrificial lamb, so we don't need to continue sacrificing. So there's, there are some clear things that do come to an end in the New Testament, But there are other things from the Old Testament that are clearly prohibited in the the Old Testament that aren't brought up again in the New Testament that still are wrong, right? Like cannibalism. (laughs) Cannibalism is clearly outlawed in the Old Testament, but is not brought up again or discussed in the New Testament. Does that mean that at fellowship time we can practice some cannibalism? No, praise God. And I think with tithing, you know, there's a similar principle here. It is is discussed, but it's not clearly brought to an end in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus actually practiced perfect tithing. I I say this not because there's a verse in the New Testament that says this, but it says uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it says Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law, right? Now, if the law said you need to tithe, and Jesus tithed. So he would have practiced the, you know, the 10 and the 10 and the twenty the 23% principle. Jesus was a perfect tither. And the amazing thing is that you know, if you trust in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, the tithe that matters, it's not necessarily my tithe that I bring in here, it's his tithe, right? Because he obeyed God perfectly. And if you trust in him, you receive his perfect giving record on your account. So you can say, well, I'm a perfect tither because I'm in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we don't tithe now. What are we called to do? We're called to be followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is, a follower of Christ. And so we're called to, to mimic him, to imitate him, to, to also practice tithing in our lives. And actually, Jesus mentions the practice of tithing uh, when he talks about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that? The tax collector is beating his chest and saying, woe is me. And the Pharisee is saying, I practice, you know, the law perfectly. And, and he talks about tithing there. And Jesus actually affirms the practice of tithing from among Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So you're supposed to tithe. You're supposed to give a tenth, he says, to these Pharisees, but you're also supposed to show justice and show mercy. So the tithe it's not the most important thing in ministry. But it's interesting that when we give the tithe, what does it do? It, forward, it, it, it progresses the ministry. It, it funds the ministry. It, it allows us to do those other things that, that God is calling us to do, uh, whether it's acts of justice and mercy and faithfulness or uh, what we have here tonight with worship. So Jesus doesn't say tithing is wrong. If anything, Jesus gives us tithing as a starting point for more giving. And Jesus in the New Testament actually defines and, 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 and lists even greater acts of uh, tithing in the New Testament. Jesus teaches believer, believers to give more than 10%. And we see that in practice in the first position where it talks about needs based giving. But uh, Pastor John Piper, in, in one of his sermons, pointed out the following percentages that we find in the New Testament of people giving. So Luke chapter 3, verse 11. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share it with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should, should do the same. So what do we see here? We see 50% giving. Wow, that is a lot. But we see it from uh, the stories in the Gospels. And then Luke chapter 19. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. What do we see? 50%. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. 100%. I think there's some some truth in the idea that when we give 10%, we're giving 100%. Jesus expects all of us. 100% tied here. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... Go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 100%. Wow. Jesus has high expectations, doesn't he? But you know, the truth of the story is that he did this. (laughs) When Jesus died, even even the the cloak on his back was stripped off him. He didn't have anything. He gave up 100% for you and for me to pay for our sins so that we can know the Father. This is what Christ calls us to. Randy Alcorn, who uh, has drawn me to a lot of these points, says, tithing is the training wheels of giving. In other words, when we give that first 10% of our income, it it gives us a space to see God work. It gives us a space to say, all right, am I going to be okay if I start to give this? Is God going to take care of me? And again and again, God says, yes, I will take care of you. I will provide for all of your needs. You can give me a portion of the money that I have already given to you, and it will be okay. You can rest in me. You don't have to be anxious. This leads me to our big, big idea, our big point. Our Heavenly Father calls us to trust him by giving our tithes faithfully and our offerings generously. See, I believe we're called to give tithes. I truly do, and I want to practice it myself, and I'm trying to do just that. And then give offerings, those special moments where we say, you know what, God, you've given me so much here. I want to honor you in a special way. Our Heavenly Father invites us to come, to trust him with our money. Last night I got to go to a, a high school play. Monica helped direct. It's the high school play Annie. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of it or, or seen it. Uh, but it's all about an orphan girl getting adopted by a very wealthy individual. And in this, uh, this play, uh, there's, there's a, a, a time at Christmas when this billionaire wants to invite an orphan to come stay with her in the case of this, uh, this musical. And there's a scene where the, uh, the secretary for this, this very rich individual comes to the orphanage and says, you know, uh, Olivia Warbucks wants to bring one of the, uh, the orphans in. And the, the orphan caretaker, who doesn't really care for Annie, says, Olivia Warbucks, the millionaire? And the secretary says, no, the billionaire. Someone who has billions and billions of dollars. And it, Annie goes to live with Olivia Warbucks, And everything she needs is taken care of. Everything she wants is provided for. And there's more left over. If you were Annie, (laughs) Olivia Warbucks adopted you, how would you act? Would you act differently? Would you live life afraid of not having enough money? Bernie at the preaching breakfast asked us this question. He asked, you know, if your father was a billionaire who gave you a million dollars and anytime you gave your million dollars away he would always give you another million well would you be afraid to give that money away or would you just keep giving the million away because you know you have a father who's a billionaire who has it all see our father in heaven he owns it all he owns the the cattle on a thousand hills He owns uh, the animals in the forests and the bugs in the field and the birds on the mountains. He owns everything. And if you have put your faith in Christ, he is your father. And you're a part of that family, the family of Christ Jesus. And Jesus invites us to trust him. Malachi 3.10 says this, "says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be, not be room enough to store it. See, our Father says, test me in this. And I invite you to do that. Say, okay, I'm gonna try to give my tithe for the next three months if you're not already giving. And I'm going to see if God takes care of me for these next three months. I'm going to examine my bank account at the end and see, well, what's in there? Am I I hurting? God says, I will provide for you. I will bless you. Now, that doesn't mean that suddenly, you know, a red Ferrari is going to, you know, show up in your driveway. Maybe, but I don't think so. It doesn't mean you're going to get racing horses or whatever your, your dream item is. See, the blessing that God promises, the blessing that the Father offers is not a thing. It's a person. It's himself. The Father is saying, open up a pathway so that I can know you, so that you can experience my goodness. When we give tithes and offerings faithfully, we we open up a channel to experience the God of the universe, our Heavenly Father who owns everything. And this is the greatest spiritual blessing itself. Randy Alcorn in his book um, Money, Possessions and Eternity, he tells the story of a young Christian couple and their journey from through a couple churches. And they left a the church that talked about tithing. And they went to a church that said, you know, tithing is legalism. We don't want to obey the old testament law, you know, we don't want to get sucked into works. Which that's not a bad message. But there was no alternative that was presented. So if I'm if I'm just supposed to give, you know something well where do i start and so they actually gave less than ten percent five percent and then pretty soon they found they were hardly giving at all and then they they began to notice in their own lives a spiritual lethargy a spiritual weakness they weren't as invested in in jesus they weren't as invested in the work of god's kingdom and they transitioned to a church that did say you know what. The tithe is a starting point and challenged people to, to take that leap of faith. And when they began to tithe again, their, their faith was revitalized. Their, they, they began to be more in love with God. Their walk became more real. And I don't know about you, but I get so excited when I, get, when I, when I have that opportunity to give. And it, it, is, it is kind of a, a challenging thing sometimes to write that check. But boy, God provides and it seems like when we give more he gives us even greater blessings back giving is a gauge of our spiritual health so I would challenge you if you're not giving you feel like you're wandering well start giving and see how that impacts your walk with God chances are you'll come more regularly to church because well you want to be invested in that thing you're actually investing in so challenge yourself in that way Matthew 6, 21 is a great reminder for us. This is my last scripture passage. But it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when we offer our tithes and our money to God, we're not just offering a thing, we're offering ourselves. Where our hearts, if you look at your checkbook, you can see kind of where your heart is invested. Don't you want the first portion of your heart to go to God? (laughs) I know that with God, my heart is secure. When I invest in other things, even if it's like wonderful experiences or if it's a great education, those things are worthwhile, but they're not as good as God. Investing in God is a place where we can put our hearts, that we can trust the Father. Our Heavenly Father calls us to trust him by giving our tithes faithfully and our offerings generously. What's the most valuable treasure you have? If you were to think about it, you'd say, well, it's obviously not my money, right? It's my family members. You know, maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's a friend. They're your treasure. The story of the gospel is that the father gave up his treasure so that he could treasure us. See, the father gave up his family member and his friend. The father gave up his son, Christ Jesus, who he had known and loved and been known and loved by for all eternity. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what the Father did for us. He gave up his treasure so that we could be treasured. Our Heavenly Father calls us to trust him by giving our tithes and our offerings. In Abba's song, they sing, it's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world. And they they switch it back and forth in there, but they also say, it's the rich man's world. They actually got that really right. (laughs) This world, everything in it, it belongs to the rich man. And we actually know who this rich man is. And to us, this rich man is not just someone in our dreams. Abba is dreaming about a rich man. Our rich man speaks to us and wants to know us. And cares about us so much he sent his son into the world to rescue us. So that we can know and be loved by him. We can know and relate to this rich man. This rich man is our heavenly father this rich man grants us the right to be called sons and daughters of the Most High if you know him, if you've put your faith in him. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't don't know the Father as your heavenly Father, if you just view him as some sort of abstract deity or or God far away, I invite you to put your treasure in Christ tonight. Don't wait to some other night to to find true treasure, (laughs) I'm preaching a song on tithes and offerings and you didn't think that you were going to get anything out of this tonight. You thought I was going to just be giving it away. But we give because we've been given too. We give because we've been given everything. The rich man sent his son for us. Do you know the rich man as your father? And if you do, are you acting like the rich man is your father? Our heavenly father calls us to trust him. By giving our tithes faithfully and our offerings generously. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Just thank you for everything that you give us. Everything's yours our money, our belongings. Would you help us give you our hearts? Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one here individually on what you're calling them to give. Lord, would we honor you in our tithes and in our offerings, with our finances, just like we want to honor you with every aspect of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.